Good evening, or good morning. It's evening here, it's morning where you are today. It's 11 months since I came to Artisan, and I still haven't met most of you. I do hope that before our journey together ends, I do get a chance to meet you face to face and for us to have that eye to eye con conversation that is so important. But it is good to be with you today. A disciple walks the way. Come back with me to the Holy Land during Jesus' time, known by biblical historians as the Second Temple period. This region centered in Jerusalem and including Samaria and Galilee and south to the Negev, east to the Jordan River and beyond and west to the Mediterranean Sea was caught in our day we might call an economic, military, religious and political kind of pandemic for the inhabitants because what were they experiencing? Crucifixions, oppression, abuse, stress, anxiety, fear and hopelessness all over the place due to the iron fist of the Romans powers over the region. Jesus public appearance among the estimated hundred or so would be messiahs of the time was unique. Things were happening out of the Galileans hand, remarkable healings, mass feedings, exorcisms, teaching dripping with authority, a gentleness and tolerance for the downtrodden and the broken, a unique kindness toward women and children, but a fearlessness in the face of the religious powers of the day. All these things made him a top candidate at the country's watering holes to be the long-awaited and hoped-for Messiah, who it was thought, among other things, would rid the land of the brutal Romans and their unrighteous ways. Interestingly, aware of the timing of his mission, Jesus hushes his odd followers to not shout to the world what impact he is making in people's lives. He does not yet need nor want distractions from getting about the business of teaching his acolytes and sending or seeding some sense of his coming kingdom. Jesus does not want these, his training sessions, and his direct ministry to the people ended prematurely. Despite the fact that Jesus himself does not prescribe to the religio-political notion of what the Jewish Messiah would do with the Romans, Speculation and hope that he is the one is the buzz spreading across the land. For now, though, Jesus wants, for now, though, Jesus wants to get his ministry groundwork done before he embarks on his journey to Jerusalem. That journey to Jerusalem being more than a metaphor for the fulfillment of his ultimate destiny of loving the world to death. In his Galilee ministry in the three years before his fateful journey to Jerusalem, Jesus had moved from Nazareth to Capernaum, or Capernaum. And by the way, Jesus probably moved to Capernaum because it was under the rule of Philip the Tetrarch. Philip, the son of the horrendous Herod the Great, seems to have been the most tolerant to new religions and maybe even political ideas of his two brothers who jointly oversaw the rest of the then Holy Land, including Nazareth. Speaking of tolerance, tolerance is sometimes present because people are apathetic, sometimes because it's persons of a laissez-faire persuasion and personality, 
But sometimes tolerance is just because of sheer grace. What drove Philip to Tetrarch, we don't know. But some biblical scholars think Jesus moved to Capernaum to more safely than anywhere else in the region at that time, develop, pray, think, plan, and clarify his strategies, and engage in the preparation of his followers and carry out his public ministry there in the moment that he had. In our last preaching series here at Artisan, Nelson led us through the notion of learning to pray by praying the Psalms. That series richly implied we learn by doing. That same notion of learning by doing can again be applied in today's focus as we're talking about being disciples. A rather important notion in the economy of Jesus then and now. It could be said that Jesus' three years of ministry before moving into the denouement of his life in Jerusalem was as much teaching his disciples to be disciples and to make disciples as anything else. But before we dig a little deeper into one particular event in the life of Jesus and his disciples in a post-resurrection encounter, I'd like to dip just into another rich text of Jesus instructing his followers as a window to the practicalities of disciples as found in Luke 10, 1 to 11 and 17 to 20. And in this text we hear, and this is a long list and I'll go through it quickly, just in point form. Jesus instructing his trainee disciples in Luke 10 says, go two by two, work in teams, pray for success, be careful, know that this is dangerous work, your lambs among wolves, travel light, be wary of people on the road, speak peace into the houses that you find yourself staying in, whether you've invited yourself or whether they've invited you in, and establish yourself there, stay there as long as you can if it's peaceful. At that house, accept what is given to you for your survival, whether it's food or a bed, don't complain. Heal people. Speak of the kingdom I have come to establish. And if you're treated badly anywhere, symbolically and physically just shake the dust off your feet so that you know that you're finished with them. Next, be very aware, be smart. Remember that the kingdom of God is near. And lastly, don't be too surprised that amazing things happen when you're doing kingdom work. That's just one packed version of an insider session with Jesus in his training mode. Lot to remember in one session. But let's fast forward. The ministry is completed. The Passion Week with all its intrigue and drama and horror has come and gone. And in the aftermath, the snippets of stories of Jesus risen are beginning to circulate. Some have heard that Mary and her friends are saying that Jesus has arisen, that they saw him. That's being chatted around the city of Jerusalem. There's a story too that he had suddenly stood amongst the whole group. Two walkers had hurried back from Emmaus, stammering that they had encountered him in their own slow motion uptake. Clearly, the Christian community of Jerusalem in the post-crucifixion and resurrection period was in spiritual and emotional confusion. They would have been afraid for their own lives. They were perplexed and puzzled as to all that had happened to Jesus, and flight became an option. Some of the most trained of the remaining 11, those handpicked by Jesus who'd had the most complete and rigorous training of all of that early Jesus community were now most likely discouraged, 
disheartened and somewhat discombobulated. Some said, let's go home to our homes and families on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, not knowing what else to do, it seems. Sitting in their sense of loss, they revert to what many of them did before. They go home and they go fishing. It doesn't occur to them that Jesus, despite having appeared to them twice at least already, if not more, that he is still pursuing them, still working to get inside their heads and hearts. So now to our main text, clarifying some of what it means to be a disciple. We pick up the story in John 21, verse 1 to 15, and I will read that. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. This is the word of the Lord. So what might we have here that informs us how to be followers of Jesus, to be his disciples? The first thing to ask is why did these commissioned men, these seven that we find in this text, shuffle back home in their post-crucifixion, post-resurrection confusion? Don't we usually stay where we last were when we were separated so that we might be able to meet again? Why did they slink back to the Galilee, a place where it was said nothing good can come? On a personal note, I'm a Manitoba boy. One night, some time ago at a family dinner, I don't know how we got into the conversation, adult children and their children and some friends and neighbors over. We got into this conversation and I said, you know, if something happens to all of you, referring to my family mostly, and you're all gone and I'm left alone, I'll go back to Winnipeg. My son said, are you crazy? Have you forgotten how cold the winters are there? I said, it's my home. It's where I'd have to go back to start over again. And so too, that's the same way that the stunned and disoriented disciples, they go back to the water, back to the boat, familiar smells and behavior. 
It's just a normal reverting to familiar, craving some balance again, I'd say. And then there he is on the shore, calling and waving to them. Obviously, they're more than a little rock to see Jesus. Way up here in the Galilee, they're almost shy or maybe afraid, I guess. There's been a lot they don't and haven't understood lately. And now he's here too on the shore, shouting and giving advice on fishing. It's a mysterious story. Is it a health and wealth story? Stick close to Jesus and you'll be successful? I'm afraid that notion had been destroyed a week or so earlier in the horror of Jerusalem. And yet, this net full of fish, this surprise breakfast is impressive. Is that the reward that disciples get? Free breakfast? What was his point in staging this barbecue? Is this visitation, the Jesus version of Justin Trudeau's, will be there for you? And I mean no disrespect in either direction with that question. But what I can say, bridging this text, and with the span of the New Testament account and my own life, what disciples can expect and need to be aware of. Disciples can expect. One, Jesus will appear in amazing and surprising ways to his disciples anywhere and anytime. Next, what he may bring may be a surprise as well as simply being there, bringing what is needed, yet sometimes not so much what was wanted and even asked for or can even be imagined. Thirdly, know as a disciple that you will be visited, accompanied by Jesus along your way. Four, you will in ways be fed and cared for. Again, more often than not in surprising way. And the visit, the connection from Jesus as a disciple will be twofold. It will be a love connection. It will be intimate. It will be affectionate. And it will contain a call to service, to dispense, to walk out that same kind of appearing as Jesus does, bringing basics to life, to others, sometimes actual food, always soul food, and often an encouragement, an equipping for change and moving on, a redemption, a renewing. Seven, it will often include both an intertwine of being blessed and being a blessing, forthwith dispensing that same identifiable Jesus love. And eight, it will be a twofold call when Jesus appears to the disciple to love him yet more and to love like him. In a nutshell, Jesus' system of discipleship, in short, was the making of a relationship between he and his followers. In turn, the followers or disciples were then to simply bring their friends, neighbors, and connections into that same circle of being and see the circle grow inside and out. Discipleship is spiritual intimacy with Christ and spiritual intimacy with and for others. That was, is the Jesus way. Relationship with him, relationship with the Father, and relationship with one another. It wasn't a corporate deal, all wrapped up in a system with a name and an office, an ad man and a branding team. It was more than that. It was less than that. It was an invitation to a lifestyle. It was not a running away. It was not a call to become separatists, nor a permanent religious pilgrimage per se. It was a call to live a normal life, unless one is called to something very specific within that centeredness, a normal life, but with Jesus at one center. 
As an aside again, I'm kind of inclined after all these years of following Jesus, of pastoring, of studying, of praying and talking and talking and talking to no longer wanting to call myself a Christian and even more so an evangelical. So tainted have these descriptions become. So strangely and so badly, too many of us have behaved in unchristlike ways. We've spoiled the names. We followers of Jesus need to clean up our bad PR for Christ's sake. Being known as an evangelical Christian has and now can get in the way of meaningful conversation and relational progress in the journey of the true disciple of Jesus. Methinks that to think of ourselves as being followers of Jesus and disciples is a far better way of naming ourselves than what we have called ourselves to date. Disciples walk with integrity. They've had a soul face left. I believe that Jesus did not come to start a new religion, and our Christianity has too often looked, sounded, and smelled significantly unlike him in too many ways. When one reviews Jesus' relationship to the Judaism of his day, we see he adapted the very written in stone law of the Sabbath to allowing compassion trump the rules. And Peter, following in Jesus' steps as well, found out that strict kosher laws in the new movement of Jesus' kingdom were expendable too. Gentiles could come in. Jesus championed inclusivity. What a notion. Jesus championed inclusivity. Clearly, the Jesus way was and is a third way in relationship to what Judaism was and what Christianity has so much become. Contemplating the ways of Jesus being a disciple in Christ's image remains a third way. All of this to say being a disciple is not about being a weirdo, a religious freak, a no fun, unsmiling legalist, nor a naysayer all over the place. Jesus' followership is about coming to oneself, being an integrated, natural, normal, differentiated person in place, intentionally and mindfully connected to Jesus, and even sometimes connected unconsciously to him, but still acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. In all of these, loving God and loving our neighbor. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus to be a perpetual follower, a student, an apprentice, an imitator of Jesus in living. As imitators of Christ, as image bearers of God, who knows when that imitation of Christ lightens up our image making that we begin to behave in natural ways and looking a little bit sometimes like Mother Teresa, sometimes even like Mahatma Gandhi, and sounding like Nelson Mandela. Because those are all the kinds of things that Jesus called us to. Disciples are embodied message carriers and value keepers of Jesus' love and his way of being with us. Disciples are living examples of what Jesus did and would do if he were physically here. But he isn't. He asked us to stand in for him and be like him right here, right now, being transformed and transforming, being renewed and renewing, today, tomorrow, next week, and on and on. Being a disciple of Jesus means that we have and are inviting Christ's being and spirit to imbue us with himself to the extent that we are full of him 
and his fullness just drips out of us exotically and rubs off on the people we come in contact with deliciously and irresistibly magnificent ways of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus respond to God's deep calling to their deep and letting that deep find a home in their bodies and souls and out from there. More and more I am thinking that Christ's teaching, including his Sermon on the Mount, was less about religious practice and ritual and more about simply teaching best practices on how to love God and to love your neighbor, all integrated together, no sacred, no profane, just love. That's what disciples do, my friends. They love God and they love their neighbors right where they are.